0: You ever heard of the Winchester Mystery House? I bet you have, even if you don't remember its name. It was the home of Sarah Winchester. Yes, that Winchester. She was the widow of William Wirt Winchester, treasurer of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. When her husband died, Sarah inherited more than $20 million and nearly half the company. She poured it all into the house. In 1884, She started construction on the house in San Jose, California, and construction continued constantly until Sarah's death in 1922. By the end of her life, the house had grown to 161 rooms, including some 40 bedrooms, nearly 50 bathrooms, and two large ballrooms. Miles, literally, of twisting hallways that ended abruptly, hidden doorways that led to hidden chambers, staircases that fall and then rise to nowhere all built to confuse the spirits of those people killed by Winchester rifles. Spirits she thought were seeking her out, finding her home, and haunting her. She slept in a different room each night so the spirits couldn't find her. There was only one working toilet in the whole of the 161 rooms. The rest were decoys, meant to confuse the ghosts. This month, on Death Dying and Other Things, a single story told in two parts. In This House is Not a Home, a mother discovers that her new house might not be so welcoming to new guests. Death and dying are the threshold between this world and the next, the boundary between light and dark, the barrier between worlds, and that's where we're going. We are going into the shadows, To bring you stories of horror and heartbreak. From MWHS, this is Death, Dying, and Other Things. I'm Justin Buskey. Stay with us. When Teresa Newman and her husband Teddy bought the two-story house on the outskirts of her Indiana hometown, she thought they were getting a good deal. It was the mid-2000s, in the midst of the housing bubble, and even semi-rural Indiana wasn't immune. So when the house went on the market, and it was a fraction of what everyone else was asking, it was a no-brainer for her and her husband. She still remembers Teddy, on the drive back to the small two-bedroom apartment they and their two children had been crammed into for months, turning to her. "'Let's do it,' he said. "'Whatever fix-me-ups we have to do, it'll be worth it with a price like this.'" Extremely motivated. That's what their realtor kept telling Teresa about the seller when she asked why the price was so low. Now, after a couple months living in the house... It wasn't such a mystery. The house was nestled just inside a five-year-old housing development, second from the left on a nondescript cul-de-sac. Painted brown and beige, it looked just like every other house on the block from the outside. Inside, the house was large and well-lit. A family room, a kitchen, the master bedroom, and a small den on the first floor. And on the second, three bedrooms, one for Christine, the Newman's daughter, one for Rocky, the Newman's son, and one they had made into a nursery for the third child they would never have. The parks were good, the schools were better, the neighborhood was safe, the house was secure. Teresa woke in the middle of the night during the second week of their fourth month in the house. This was unusual for Teresa. She was a heavy sleeper, but her mouth was bone dry, her lips were cracked, her throat was raw. She thought she was suddenly sick at first, but with no other symptoms. She assumed she was just afflicted by some extreme thirst. Maybe she hadn't had enough water the day before. Getting out of bed and stumbling into the hall, she slid her hand along the wall for guidance and balance. This was only the second time she had touched this paper-covered wall, the first when she hung the family photos she couldn't now see in the dark. The wallpaper came with the house and was, now, in the dead of night, cool and silky to the touch, like satin. She was glad she convinced Teddy to keep it. In the kitchen, she flipped on the oven light, concerned anything brighter would spill back down the hall and wake her husband, and grabbed a small glass from the cabinet. She filled it from the tap, down the glass, and filled it a second time. That's when Teresa, shutting off the tap and leaning against the countertop to sip her water, noticed it. A hum, or a buzz. She wasn't sure what to call it. Low, in both volume and frequency, like some far-off gargantuan bumblebee. She thought it was the refrigerator at first, the compressor, keeping their leftovers preserved. But once she opened the fridge up, it was clear that that wasn't it. Strolling into the living room, she heard it there, too. Subtle, almost pleasant white noise. Hey, what's going on? Teddy said, from the hallway. Teresa spun around, surprised, dropping her glass of water. It shattered against the hardwood floor. It was easy to forget about the hum. It was rarely obvious and basically inaudible, unless it was late at night and Teresa was trying to hear it. And there was no telling if it was an actual sound originating from an actual location in their actual house. Teresa had started reading about hums online and about something called tinnitus and how when you start to lose your hearing, your brain fills in that part of the audio spectrum you can't hear anymore with a constant buzz that will never go away. Or it could be a tumor, either on her auditory nerve or in the hearing center of her brain. Or, hell, she could just be imagining it Until Teddy, three weeks later, one night before bed, asked her, Do you ever hear, like, a hum coming from somewhere in the house? Teresa answered with a simple, relieved, yes. Teddy checked every inch of the house that weekend. The basement, the attic... On both floors, in all the rooms, he held his ear to each of their walls. Floor to ceiling, wall to wall, foundation to roof. Teddy searched for the source of the hum and came up empty-handed. What do you think? Teddy asked Teresa. Strange, she said. Yeah, he said, but what should we do? Teresa's face flushed. I don't know. What do you think we should do? I think we have a few options, he said. Let's hear them, Teresa said. We could call up the city, see if they know anything about it. It might be electrical, so we could bring in an electrician. Yeah, Teresa said, but that sounds expensive. I know, but we knew there might be some repairs coming in. You're right, she said. "'Rob could probably hook us up with an electrician that'd give us a fair price,' he said. "'Sure,' she said, and then a pause filled the room. They both listened hard. Midday on a Saturday. Kids outside playing, birds chirping, radio on in the other room, television on in one of the kids' rooms upstairs. Past all that noise, the hum was a faint whisper, a suggestion of some past or future disturbance. Or, Teresa said, we could live with it. Living with the hum was easy. Easier than they expected, at least. Teresa came to count on it, to lull her to sleep at night. Teddy either didn't hear it on most days or didn't acknowledge it. It became the backdrop to their lives in that house. Everything they did, eating dinner, playing board games with their kids, rearranging furniture, hosting guests, decorating for the holidays, making love. The hum was a witness to it all. Late that January, Teresa woke at 2.23 a.m., startled by a sudden increase in the hum's volume. She shook her husband awake, surprised he, too, hadn't jumped up from the bed. "'Do you hear that?' she asked, raising her voice above the hum, certain he would say, "'Of course!' "'Hear what?' he asked. "'And why are you shouting?' "'Are you kidding?' she asked. "'No. Keep your voice down. You'll wake the kids,' Teddy said." She got out of bed, the roar tearing through the house disorienting her. She ran into the walls, knocking pictures to the floor. "'Where are you going?' Teddy whispered after her, but Teresa couldn't hear him over the hum. She flipped on the living room light, looking for... She didn't know what exactly, but looking for something. She hurried to the kitchen, where the hum was louder, and saw the basement door open, the staircase leading down a few short steps to the yawning abyss below the house. "'Teddy!' she yelled, making sure he could hear her over the thunderous hum, wondering why he wasn't out of bed helping her to search, to begin with. He came hurrying into the kitchen, trying to shush her. He hurried out of the room for a minute and came back saying, Would you be quiet? Christine's out of bed now and you're scaring her. It's so loud I can barely hear you, Teresa said. I can't hear anything, he said. I think something's down there, she said, pointing down to the basement. From a nearby cupboard, Teresa grabbed a flashlight and shined it down into the basement. The stairs creaked and groaned, but Teresa's ears were so full of the roaring mystery that she didn't hear them. Teddy followed just behind her, brandishing an old wooden baseball bat he had retrieved from near the back door. He jumped in front of her as they neared the bottom of the stairs. Down here, the hum was so loud, Teresa could feel it in her guts. It reverberated through her body. It was giving her a headache. At the bottom of the stairs, she swung the flashlight around widely, searching for anything that could be making the noise. Once around the room, nothing. Twice around the room, nothing. Three times. Teresa's flashlight came to rest on a young boy. Their young son. Rocky. Standing in the corner. Facing the wall. One of his hands was extended. Touching the rough cinder block foundation. Rocky? Teresa said. Teddy winced from her shout. Rocky didn't move. She touched him on the shoulder. Gently pulled him backwards. The hum. Wherever it was coming from stopped. Teresa could breathe again. Rocky looked up at her, eyes drooping. Mommy? Then he looked down at his hand. Bits of concrete stuck to his palm and fingers. Teresa brushed the pieces from his hand, having to use some force to get most of them off. Ow! Rocky said, instinctively. Teresa hoisted him into her arms i just wanted to take a quick second to thank everybody who's given this show a rating or a review or evangelize the show at all on twitter or facebook you're making this show a success Teresa, after putting Rocky back down to sleep, found Teddy sitting up in bed. She could tell it was going to be an argument and tried to head it off. He's never sleepwalked before, has he? I can't remember a time he's done that, she said. But Teddy wasn't going to be distracted. What was all that shouting about? I was trying to speak to you over the hum. There wasn't any hum. You scared Christine half to death. I'm sorry, Teresa said. Keep your voice down, Teddy interrupted. But I really couldn't hear anything over the hum. I could barely hear it. There was no reason to... Shh! Teresa interrupted. You hear that? I don't hear anything. Me either, Teresa said. She smiled. They didn't hear the hum for weeks, but that wasn't entirely a blessing. Teresa, in moments of silent contemplation, found herself missing the constant guest. Late into the evenings, she found it harder and harder to sleep without the white noise to keep her company. She purchased a white noise generator to help, but it kept Teddy up, so he made her get rid of it. She started going to sleep with an old headset radio she found in the garage, tuned to the space in between the local stations, so that the static could lull her to sleep. 2.20 a.m. The noise in that space between radio stations started to sound different, just underneath the static. Pillowy sounds, like a newborn giggling or a puppy yawning, bubbled up from the static. It didn't wake Teresa at first, just caressed her ears. But when the sounds started to overtake the static, Teresa's brain decided to wake her. At first, she didn't understand what she was hearing, it took several minutes of slow, still listening, concentrating on listening past the static, before she decided it was someone talking. Someone talking like they would talk to a newborn. On and on, babbling in Soft, gentle nonsense, just under the static. Creeped out might even be too aggressive a term for how Teresa felt in that moment. The noises weren't creepy in the least. They were pleasant. Sweet. But their context, existing just underneath radio static, in a headset radio she was only wearing to simulate a mystery hum that had plagued their house and then somehow vanished, unnerved her in a very slight, very general way. Plus, she thought, she was probably just picking up someone's baby monitor. When the hum returned weeks later, Teresa had even stopped wearing the radio headset to get to sleep. She didn't need the noise anymore, and not wearing it made it possible to sleep on her side, which she usually did. She had noticed a problem in the hallway with that wallpaper she liked so much. Up in the corner, just outside the master bedroom, the wallpaper had begun to peel. She fetched a ladder from the garage and, knocking a few pictures off the wall, climbed up to investigate this unfortunate turn of events. It was obvious why the wallpaper was curling up here. The drywall behind it was wet, soggy, not sopping, But there was no small comfort to Teresa because she had experienced leaks before and knew a slow, undetectable leak that had been going on for a long while was worse. It would have given mold a bigger opportunity to take up residence in there. She pressed on the soggy drywall and felt it give and then push back gently against her finger as she withdrew pressure. Then, far off, Somewhere deep in the walls, she heard the hum. The plumber was there that night, cutting open the hallway wall, much to Teresa's dismay. There would be no saving the wallpaper she liked so much now. Teddy patted her on the shoulder and gave her a quick smile. We'll figure it out, he said. We'll make it look even better in here. The plumber, after rooting around up in the wall and ceiling for at least an hour, shouted over to Teresa and Teddy, who had withdrawn to the kitchen to whip up some dinner. Well, it sure is damp up there, he said, wandering down the hall and into the kitchen. But I don't see any mold, and what's more, I can't find where the leak's coming from. And the noise, Teresa asked. Oh, that hum you were talking about? Yeah, that doesn't sound like something plumbing-related. Have you called an electrician? Teresa rolled her eyes. "'Hey, you want anything to drink?' Teddy asked the plumber. "'You don't happen to have a beer laying around, would you? It's about that time.' "'Sure,' Teddy said, grabbing a beer from the fridge and handing it to him. Teresa nudged him in the arm when he had returned to her side at the kitchen counter. "'Yeah, I'll have to come back and see if the leak's coming from the second floor. I don't have any more time to take care of it tonight. That okay?' He asked. Teddy looked at Teresa. That's fine, Teresa said. I can stay home. Great, he said, guzzling the beer. I'll cover the hole with plastic and get out of your hair then. A week later, the plumber had cut holes into every wall and ceiling in the house. The insides of every one was damp in the same way, but he had not found a single leak. The liquid, he discovered, was not water either. It was clear but thick, viscous, and slicker than water would otherwise be, like dish soap. And it had a smell, too, not pleasant and lemony, but deep and earthy, like an old cellar. He apologized for making so many holes and excused himself after he told Teddy and Teresa they may need some kind of specialist for this. Teresa woke that night to squealing in her ears, high-pitched and painful to hear like some wounded animal dying but still fighting their fate. It seemed to be coming from all around her. She bolted from bed, The noise, stabbing deep into her eardrums, knocked her off balance, and she stumbled a few steps toward the far window before finding her footing. She looked back to the bed, and Teddy was still sound asleep, unaffected by whatever this was, and decided to leave him there until she knew what the hell was going on. In the hallway, the plastic covering the large hole in the wall brushed against her face, startling her. She threw herself into the opposite wall, brushing off her cheeks, fearing a spiderweb. The screech pitched upward, hurting her head and forcing her eyes to squint against the pain. A few breaths, and she realized what she was hearing. The hum. Louder and higher-pitched, but it was definitely the hum. She spilled out of the hallway and into the living room, looking around for anything that might explain what she was hearing. A sliver of light from some nightlight somewhere in the house pierced the darkness, and illuminated one of the new holes the plumber had made. She had to check the other holes in the other walls of the living room before believing what she was seeing. The edges of the cut drywall had folded over, somehow melting, The drywall and the mystery liquid seeped out, weeping down the wall and splattering on the floor. She glanced down the hallway and into the kitchen. There too, each hole was seeping like some putrid wound. She spun around, almost falling off balance from the noise gashing her ears, and started to hurry back to the bedroom to wake Teddy before noticing the basement door ajar. Remembering the last time the basement was open, she threw herself down the stairs, forgetting even a flashlight. The basement door slammed behind her. She tripped on the third stair, hurtling down to the basement floor below, crying out for Teddy's help. A moment later, Teddy had opened the basement door and grabbed a flashlight. He shouted something to her, but the hum had grown to a roar in Teresa's head and was all she could hear. He hurried down the stairs, handing her the flashlight and helping her to her feet. Teddy mouthed inaudible words to Teresa while she pointed the flashlight around the basement. She let out a squeal when, on the far side of the basement, the flashlight illuminated Rocky lifeless, somehow buried from the waist up in the cinder blocks of the basement wall, and disappearing further into the house with each moment. This episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, Justin Buskey. The story, This House is Not a Home, was written by me, too. You can follow me on Twitter, at Justin Busky. Intro and outro music is by the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to White Noise and to Wallpaper. Death Dying and Other Things is a production of MWHS. New episodes the first Thursday of every month. This has been Death Dying and Other Things, and I've been your host, Justin Busky. Stay out of the shadows.